Can everyone please be seated for the reading of God's word? Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you. They trusted in you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue me Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Good morning, everybody. My name is Kenneth Gray, and I am currently a pastoral church planning resident at Exodus Church in North Carolina, or right outside of Charlotte in Belmont, North Carolina, and I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Um, The church planning residency that I'm a part of is called the Orchard Initiative. It's a a two-and-a-half-year church planning residency to help train faithful and fruitful pastors to lead faithful and fruitful ministries. So it's about two-and-a-half years long. My wife, Whitney, who's here on the front row, um, and our two kids, Haddon, who's four. We named her after Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who's a dead, fat preacher, which she's going to love that when she's 14, I'm sure, but right now she, she's cool with it. And our son, who's two, his name is Silas, after we named him after Silas in the Bible. We moved from Mississippi to North Carolina about a year ago. So every time you hear something weird in my voice or you need a translator, that's all the Mississippi coming out. Um, I'm so grateful to be here with you. Um, my very first Sunday at Exodus, Will preached. And so it was a gift. He was a guest preacher that Sunday. So it's kind of, you know, small world about a year later. Um, I get to be here to serve you guys in that way. So I would invite you to pray for me and my family. Um, the goal is beginning in 2025 is that we would plant a church out of Exodus. So take about 40 people with us and go plant a church in a community that needs a church. So I would ask you to please pray for us as we are trying to figure out where and when and how and all of those things. Um, But we know the Lord's faithful, and we're really excited about it. So um, if you have your Bibles, we'll be in Psalm 22. Um, Like we just read, we'll be looking at the whole psalm. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to open it up and follow along with me. So throughout our lives, we all have different themes and stories that seem to follow us. And for me, one of those themes is car trouble, okay? So um, I have always had car trouble. Even as a young kid, I remember we were literally sitting still in traffic, and one of the axles on our minivan just split in half. It was like, how could that happen? Like, it's impossible. No, it's not. Definitely happened to us. Um, so for me, whether it's locking my keys in my car or when we moved from Mississippi up to the Charlotte area, total engine failure coming into Atlanta, that did happen, but that's a story for a different day. I've always had car trouble. So I want to take you back about 10 years. So about 10 years ago, here's how my day went. I graduated from college that morning. I went to a buddy's wedding that afternoon. I hung out with my friends until late into the night, and I decided at midnight I would make a three and a half hour drive because I was 22 and 22 year olds may not be the smartest. So I'm like, I would make a three and a half hour drive. But a few things you need to know. I had a brand new very used car, okay? It was very new to me, but it was very, very used, okay? So number one. Number two, my cell phone had 2% battery. Pfft, what's the worst that could happen, right? Like, unless there's a, there's a crisis, it's not a big deal. So I um, leave with my brand new used car and my 2% phone battery, and I take off. I get about 30 minutes down the road, and I get right smack dab in the middle of nowhere, and the tread on my front right tire comes completely off. And it just beats up everything inside, up under the, the wheel well, and I don't even know what to do. So I get out, I get my phone out so I can use the flashlight. Phone's dead. Whew. 
Okay, so what do you do? Okay, phone's dead, tire's flat, and then I look down and there's a mysterious liquid leaking out from under the car, and I've seen a couple movies. I know what's about to happen. I'm going to blow up. Like, this is how that's going to go. And so I don't know what to do. So I prayed something really profound, like, God, why do you let this happen? Which is a weird thing to pray, but it's like all of that was your fault, dude. Uh, And so I'm on the side of the road. I was hopeless. I felt abandoned, and I felt very alone. What do we do when we feel abandoned in a difficult situation? I don't know your story, and I don't know your life, but I know my story, and I know my life. I know there's been lots of moments where I felt like there was no hope. What do we do in those moments? In Psalm 22, we see David feeling alone, in danger, and he feels like God has abandoned him. This psalm is a psalm of lament. A lament was a cry out to God saying, God, why is this happening please rescue me. Why is this happening? Please rescue me. So David cries out to God for rescue in the midst of his pain. So our big idea this morning is really simple. It's if you feel abandoned by God, do not abandon your trust in him. So like we just read Psalm 22, it's uh, 31 verses long. So what we're going to do is we're going to read verse 1 again, and I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to dive in. But I'm going to say that again. If you feel abandoned by God, do not abandon your trust in Him. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, you're so good to us. Lord, in those moments where it's hard for us to trust that you're good, I pray that you will make your presence near. Lord, as we look at your word, illuminate it for us, show us your glory, show us who you are. Lord, you're better than everything that we could possibly have. Lord, for those who are here who are hurting, Lord, I pray that you'll bring them comfort. Lord, those who are far from you, I pray that you'll bring them near. Lord, we love you. Speak to us this morning. In your name, amen. So as we look at Psalm 22, we're going to see three things. We're going to see David's reality, David's rescue, then we're going to see God's reign. The first 20 verses show us how David's circumstances, the reality that he finds himself in, they reveal three separate lies we're tempted to believe. So let's look at it again at verses 1 through 5. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. David feels abandoned in his pain. He cries out in real pain. And what does he say? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why? Why? Why have you done this? And there's a lie we're tempted to believe when we feel abandoned. And that is if we feel like God isn't there, then he isn't. When we believe this lie, the problem is it keeps us from going to him. And we think we can solve our problems 
on our own. There's no clear sin that David's being punished for. The passage doesn't tell us why this is happening to him. Instead, we just see the real, confused, hurting cry of someone who feels like God is far from him. And not only is God far from him, it feels like God has abandoned him. He's left him on purpose. He cries out in real, deep, confused pain. I want you to hear from our time together from the very beginning and our time together this morning. Is that those parts of your life, the real pain that you feel, it's real. And it matters. Whether it's emotional pain, whether it's spiritual pain, physical pain, your pain matters. When we live in a sinful world, we experience the brokenness of sin. And it hurts. And I want to encourage you that it's a valid reason to cry out to the Lord. God, where are you? Where are you? What happens when we're in pain, but we feel like God isn't listening? David says, why are you so far from saving me? Why have you removed yourself from me? Why have you done this? He's he's saying, where are you? I want you to save me, but you're not. He says, day and night I cry out, but I have no rest. Why? Because there's no answer. He's thinking, why won't you save me? And he says, there's no answer. But David does something shocking. Look at verse 3. He says, but you are holy. So I want you to see what he does. David's looking at his present circumstances. And he's saying, God, where are you? And then he remembers who the Lord is, and he turns his gaze to who God is. said, you're holy. You're enthroned on the praises of Israel. This is the image of God being lifted up by his people who are praising him. David has a feeling based on reality, but he turns from what he feels to the truth of the Lord. Even in our pain, all of our feelings must be filtered through God's truth. How do we fight against the pain of suffering? How do we fight against it? How do we fight when we feel tossed aside by God? We turn our eyes back to him. David calls God holy and enthroned. He's saying, you are set apart. You are perfect. And then he keeps going, and he's, David's been really honest with God. He says, our fathers trusted in you, and you rescued them. You rescued them. David's really honest. He's saying, hey, where are you? I'm looking at you. You're holy and enthroned, and you rescued my fathers. You rescued my ancestors, my great-great-great-great-grandparents. I remember you saved them. But then he remembers his circumstances. He says, you rescued them. Then in verse 6, he says, but I am a worm. Verse 6, I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. David is ashamed. He says, God, you've provided for me up until this point, but you're not going to provide anymore. You provided and rescued my ancestors, but why aren't you providing for me? David says, I am a worm. I'm the lowest of the low. The psalm uses a lot of animal imagery because it David starts to feel subhuman. He feels subhuman, and his enemies feel superhuman, right? Um, I, know, I know this is what you thought about me when you saw me this morning, but I played um, high school basketball 
Uh, I played high school basketball. I loved basketball, and I loved watching it from a courtside seat all through high school, okay? Um, <laughs> but I remember our coach, he would say all the time if the other team had a good player, he'd say, man, that guy's a beast. What did he mean? He didn't mean he's like a real monster. He meant he's really good at basketball. So when David says, I'm a worm, he's saying, I'm the lowest. And what he says about his enemies, he's saying, they're way too big and strong for me to overcome. David says, you came through for my ancestors, but I'm a worm. I'm a worm. And we see these people mock him. In verse 7, he says, everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him since he takes pleasure in him. He's saying they're mocking God. Oh, if God actually cares, he's going to rescue him. God actually cares, he'll rescue him. Right? What's the problem with that? What happens when God doesn't rescue us? What do we do with that? I'm sure all of us could tell story after story of times where we said, yeah, we went through a hard thing, and God didn't seem to rescue us from that thing. But these people that said, hey, if God actually likes you, he's going to save you. But he doesn't. They're lying to David. They're saying, if your relationship with God was real, you'd never experience any pain. But that's not true. And David, he does it again. He does it again. So he gets to the end of verse 8, and they're mocking him. But in verse 9, he says, It was you who brought me out of the womb. He points back to what God did. So again, he's looking at his circumstances, and he shifts back to the Lord. He's saying, yeah, it seems like you're not rescuing me now, but you've always been there with me from my birth until now. You've been there. You've cared for me. You were there when I was born, and you've brought me to this point. David remembers how God provided for him. When we suffer, it's very easy to forget all the times God has provided for us. It's very easy to say, if, when we feel, like, man, God isn't com- we feel like God isn't coming through here, we forget. He's all the times in the past where he's been faithful. We have to fight the lie that God won't provide by reminding ourselves of all the ways he has provided for us and all the times where scripture says he's faithful. And he is faithful. Friends, God can do it. And he does provide for us. So what we have to do is we have to remember who he is and what he has done. This happens in our house once a month. Okay, Either my wife or I will have one of those moments where you're looking at the bank account and going, ooh, that's not good. Or you do that thing where, one of, hey, uh, well, how, mu- how much were those groceries? What, what, you know, what's going on here? All of a sudden, it seems like the bank account's getting low, or maybe there's something else going on with one of the kids, and you're unsure about what's going to happen. Am I alone in this? No? Okay, and so one of us starts to spiral a little bit, and the other person will just really calmly say, hey, hey, I, I hear you. Hey, remember how faithful God has been to us here and 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 here? Don't you think he'll be faithful in the future? It's like, yes. Sometimes even when we can't see it, God is still being faithful. So David ends this section in verse 11. He says, do not be far from me. 
because trouble is near, distress is near. There's no one to help. David realizes there's only one place that his help could come from, and it's from the Lord. And then David is afraid. David is afraid. Beginning in verse 12, we see David's enemies. He says, Many bulls surround me. Strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me. Lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me in the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves and cast lots from my clothing. But you, O Lord, don't be far away. My strength come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of the dogs. David sees his enemies. He sees that they're beastly. They're like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, like that's what he's seeing. He's saying these, they're too big. I don't know what to do. When we see our circumstances as too big, as too hard, for us to overcome, we can very quickly start to think God can't do anything about it either. God can't rescue me from my circumstances. And David's crying out because his enemies have surrounded him. He says, the strong ones of Bashan encircle me, these many bulls. Okay, so I grew up, um, all the places I've ever lived, people would say about me when I used to live in Mississippi that I grew up around a lot of concrete which none of you laughed, which makes me realize you don't realize that's an insult, okay? What they're saying is that's a city boy, right? My understanding of farming is like you go to the grocery store and you get the cow out of the refrigerated thing and you put it in your cart. Like that's as much farming as I like to do. Um, But the bulls of Bashan, they were big. Bashan was a land that had healthy crops, which means it had healthy cattle. So when you go and do your farming like me and you look in the little freezer thing and you see Angus beef, okay, you may be like me, I don't even really know what that means, but I do know that's a big, strong, good cow. So I'm like, oh, take that one, right? That's what he's saying. These cows, these bulls, they're huge. My enemies are like the biggest, strongest, well-fed bulls Alive, He says they're like lions mauling and roaring. They're loud and they're big. Then he says that the dogs encompass him. In his pain, his enemies have surrounded him. And what does being surrounded by enemies do to David? He's afraid. He feels helpless. He feels helpless. He says, Oh, Lord, don't be far from me. Because whenever we're in terrible, difficult circumstances, it's hard to cry out to the Lord when we're afraid. But he does it anyway. We can cry out to the Lord for help. You can cry out to the Lord in the midst of your most difficult circumstances. And you may be thinking, you don't know my life. I'd say, you're right. We just met. 
But I do know there's pain in this room because I know that there's pain in my own life. I know what it's like to lose loved ones, to be disappointed with how my life has turned out at certain points. I know what it's like to feel anxious and depressed and have a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. I know what it's like. But I also know the God that we can cry out to. And he calls us to cry out to him. When we're afraid, when our circumstances seem too big for us to do anything about, we can easily believe the lie that God cannot rescue us from our circumstances. But friends, he can. Cry out to him. David gives it one more one more try. One more try. In verse 21, he says, Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. He, there's one more try. Lord, save me. Save me. They're getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And then we see David's rescue. He says, You answered me. You answered me. I just want you to put yourself in David's shoes. You're suffering. You feel abandoned by God. Your enemies are getting closer and closer and closer. And all of a sudden, you realize God hears you. God hears your cries for deliverance. And from this point on, everything in the psalm changes. Everything is different. David completely forgets his circumstances. And he looks totally to the person and work of God. It totally changes. Let's read, beginning in verse 20, 21. He says, Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. Everything changes for David. Why? Why? Because rescue is coming. One Bible scholar calls this the good news according to David. If you read through David's life in the Old Testament over and over again, David finds himself in a bad situation, cries out to the Lord for rescue. He's not sure what's going to happen, and then God rescues him. It happens over and over and over and over again. And this happens in this psalm. Something happens to David. What is it? God hears him. God hears him. And what is David's immediate, res res what is David's immediate response to rescue? It's praise. He immediately says, you answered me. And he doesn't say, now I can rest. He says, no, I'm going to proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I'm going to get in the congregation with other people, and I'm going to praise you. I'm going to proclaim your name. I want you just to picture it again. He was surrounded, whoop, he was surrounded by all of his enemies. And now he's going to surround himself with God's people and proclaim the faithfulness of God. God's rescuing presence turns David's cries for help into cries for praise. Do you see how good God is? Do you see how God even uses David's suffering? He turns it into cries of praise. And we're here this morning. We get to hear that even in the midst of our, most, our hardest moments, we can cry out to God. David felt abandoned, yet God heard him. 
And what happens is God turns the volume up on the praise of his people and turns the volume down on David's enemies. David actually starts the psalm off with a doubt. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Okay, that, probably calling that a doubt is a little not strong enough. He's directly questioning God, saying, why have you done this? Where are you? What are, like, what are you thinking? Why has this happened? And I want you to see something that's really, really important in this text is the questions we ask of God are safe in relationship with God. The questions we ask of God are safe in relationship with God. God's people don't have to be shy with our feelings before God, but it's so important that we take them to the Lord, not keep them from the Lord. When you have a doubt or a problem, you don't say, you know what, I'm going to figure this out, and then I'll decide if I can go to God with it later. That is a mistake. Have you ever heard um, the phrase, trusting someone with your feelings? Okay, y'all didn't know I was going to do high school basketball and Mr. Rogers this morning, but we're doing it, okay? So, trusting someone with your feelings, that's the person and the people you share your deepest feelings with, you trust most deeply, okay? So, what David does is he's experiencing this real pain, and what does he do? He takes it to the Lord. One of the enemies, one of Satan's best traps is to convince you not to take your problems to the Lord, but to keep them for yourself. Friends, take your problems to the Lord. And one of the ways that we take our problems to the Lord is through a word that we call trust. Do you know what it's called when you ask God questions of God in relationship with God? Trust. It's not question, it's trust. It's saying, God, I trust you with this. What's going on? They're like, I want to know what's going on. You take those problems to the Lord. And David was not abandoned. He says in verse 24, he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He hasn't hidden his face from me. He says, my circumstances didn't get too bad for God to save me. It changes everything. Friends, the joy of rescue redeems our pain. The joy of rescue, the joy of David's rescue changes his perspective. And the rest of the psalm, as we're going to see, is totally different than the first 20 verses. So I just want to remind you, I'm on the side of the road, broken down, no hope, about to explode, okay? So here's what happens. A big white truck pulls up behind me with flashing green lights a guy steps out of the truck. He's like six foot six, 350 pounds, and he's wearing a bulletproof vest. Not a good sign. Um, and he starts walking towards me, and he says, Sir, I'm not here to hurt you. I'm here to help you. And I think, like, good, because I didn't want to have to beat him up. That would have been embarrassing for him. But so he comes up to me, and he just looks at my tire. He looks at me. And he says, sir, I'm a repo man. I repossess cars for a living. I have a tow on my truck. I'd love to tow you to a truck stop and get your tire fixed. I said, okay, man. Like, yeah, that's great. Like, whatever you say. And so he towed me, and my tire got fixed, and I made it home safely. And what happens? This story of my car trouble turns into this story of a repo man helping save me on the side of the road. It's one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me. 
But I want you to see that when God redeems us, when he rescues us, it changes our circumstances. David becomes the rescued king. Why? Because he trusts God. He trusts God and he praises God for who he has done. We, when we're in need of rescue, we trust God for who he is and we praise him for what he has done. In this last section, we see God's reign beginning in verse 25. He says, I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. So what happens is David goes from, where are you, God, to proclaiming what God has done. And it says it's going to happen to the ends of the earth, to generations not yet born. What God has done is going to be declared for generations and generations and generations. And this is true. This happened. How do we know? Because we're here this morning. Generations and generations later, we're here seeing and reading what God has done. And he says it's going to flow to the ends of the earth. So David, remember, he's king of God's people on earth. And he, he's so excited about what happens. He's saying this praise, this moment that's happened to David, he's gonna, his praise is going to extend into other nations throughout generations. He says kingship belongs to the Lord. And what does his kingship bring? What does God's reign bring? He says all who are humble shall eat and be satisfied, and all who are prosperous shall eat and be satisfied. What's he saying? He's saying Anyone who humbles himself before this king, who submits to his rule and reign, can enjoy him and enjoy his rescue forever. The feast of God turns hearts to praise. He's saying the afflicted are going to eat and worship. Remember David earlier? He was so skinny. He had gotten so afraid. He was so skinny and so malnourished. They were counting his bones. And he's saying, but the afflicted, those who have been hurt, they're going to eat and be satisfied in God's presence. Also, those who are prosperous, those who, those who have enjoyed a good life, they can eat and enjoy God's presence because all who come to him can belong to him. Psalm 22 gives us a picture of this, and he says they're going to declare what he has done. So thinking about this psalm reminded me uh, about six months ago, I... Um, I discovered a new musical artist, okay? So I have a kind of an offbeat taste in music. I love really new folk music that sounds like really old folk music. I know the beard probably gave it away, right? So that's what's going on. So I love that. I love those kind of things. And so I found this artist, and I was just like, man, this is it. 
I'm texting my friends. I'm like, dude, check this out. Check this out. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm like, this guy might be the next Bob Dylan or, you know, fill in the blank, whoever one of your favorite heroes is. I'm like, this is it. I've discovered someone new. This is so exciting. And one of my friends texted back and said, dude, that, yeah, that's okay. What? Okay. No, it's amazing. You're you're missing it. And so he finally says, hey, do you not know where that song came from? It's like, no. Like, this guy wrote it. He goes, dude, no, no, you're, he goes, man, you're way off. I'm like, what? He said, Google it. So I start, I Google the lyrics and come to find out the lyrics. It's me, hi, I'm the problem, it's me, belong to somebody named Taylor Swift, and apparently she's really famous. Had no clue, um, but that's who this song belonged to. And I, I, once I knew that, I was like, you know, it did probably sound a little familiar to me, but I like, kind of just ignored that part of my brain. So this morning, if you're here, and you've grown up in or around church, or you've read through the New Testament, this psalm probably sounded really familiar to you. Because David, who was the rescued king, is a picture who's pointing to Jesus, the ransomed king, for us. Psalm 22 ends saying, speaking of God's kingship over all the nations for all time. And it says we're gonna, the people are going to declare what he has done. What has he done? The story of God's people, David's story, our story, all centers around the person and work of Jesus, in the midst of our most difficult moments, we can trust God because Jesus, in his most difficult moment, trusted God for us. Psalm 22 is pointing to the coming and forever King of Kings. Jesus fulfilled Psalm 22 on the cross. We're going to walk backwards through it to see all the ways Jesus did that. In verse 16, it says, they pierced his hands. They pierced Jesus's hands and feet when they nailed him to the cross. Verse 7 and 8, the way they mock David was almost a verbatim quote of how they mock Jesus on the cross. Verse 6, David feels like he's a worm. Jesus lowered himself all the way from heaven to earth to take the form of a servant, a human being, so that he could die for our sins. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? It's exactly what Jesus cried out on the cross. He was crucified in our place. He was abandoned so that we would never be abandoned by God. But I want you to look at verse 1 with me. He says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? That's what Jesus says on the cross, but he doesn't quote the second part of that psalm. He doesn't say, why are you so far from saving me? Just so remember, Jesus, he's on the cross He doesn't say, God, why aren't you saving me? He knew. He knew why he wasn't being saved. He wasn't saved from the cross so that we could be saved by the cross. He wasn't rescued from the cross so that we could be rescued by the cross. He wasn't delivered so that we could be delivered. He has done it, and we get to declare all that he has done. Maybe you're here this morning. And the reason you haven't fully trusted in Jesus is because you've endured hard things in this life. I want to tell you, I'm really sorry you've gone through that. But I know someone who entered into our hard things so that we could be right with God forever. And he invites you to submit to his rule and reign forever. Christian, maybe you're here and you feel like God's abandoned you. In this room, I know there's a lot of pain. 
But Jesus didn't leave us in our pain. And he knows what it's like to suffer. He knows. He knows. And he calls us to trust him and to cry out for him. Because Jesus trusted God in his most painful moment, we can trust God in the midst of ours. If you feel abandoned by God, don't abandon your trust in him. Because he has come to rescue, and he can rescue you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, Lord, you have done it. And we get to proclaim all that you've done. So Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for this picture of the the rescued King David that's pointing to the ransomed King Jesus. Lord, you gave yourself up as a ransom for us so that we could be redeemed and belong to you. Lord, you're so good. Lord, all who are here who are hurting, Lord, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself so they can trust in you. Lord, help us all to trust in you and submit to your rule and reign and enjoy the the presence and pleasure of knowing you. Lord, I pray that you will turn our stories from suffering to stories that proclaim the joy of you forever. Lord, we love you and we thank you. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.